0: Hey, thanks again, you guys, for rolling with things today with the flip of the room. Um, you would think that wouldn't be a big deal, but a lot of times when you ask people to make changes, it really throws them off. So thanks for being willing to do that. Like they mentioned earlier, um, we had it set up this way for Christmas Eve. They said, hey, you can leave it set up. And so that just helped our, our volunteers and everybody to get home with their families earlier. So thanks for rolling with that. And thanks for rolling with things on Christmas Eve. We set out... Um, more chairs than that sign says we were supposed to set out. And then we filled all those chairs. And so we ended up putting people along all the sides and, and everywhere we could we could fit people. And what was so encouraging to me was how when this was going on, I didn't hear any grumbling. I heard some, um, where's my family? But, <laughs> you know, and is there a spot here in the inn? I heard some of that. But it was just so encouraging. There was none of the huffing and puffing and all that kind of stuff. And one of the reasons that was so encouraging is I was thinking how different this crowded room was than most of the crowded rooms that we've experienced here during the holidays. And we had people that we invited that came that aren't walking closely with God, and many of you had people that came that aren't walking closely with God. And maybe some of you, you're, you're new and to this, and you're not sure whether or not walking with God is something that you want to do. And for us to come here and experience something different together, you know, where we came in here and instead of, you know, usually when it's crowded, people are jostling for the best deal or the best seat, and there's a lot of anger and frustration and irritation. Instead of having that, to have this room filled with peace and joy, and oh, it's, it's good. How encouraging that was. And in a time right now, a season when things are getting so complicated and so much of the focus is on consumption for us to gather in this room and have it all be about simplicity simplicity how encouraging that was so thank you, thank you for, for helping us to create something different a different feel thanks that, that, that you, the regulars here are consistent givers so that we didn't have to think oh here's one more opportunity to ask for an offering we didn't ask for an offering you know, we were able to just say, you know what, at a time when everyone's asking you for money, we're not going to ask you for money we're just going to ask you if anything just to to thank God for the gifts he's given you and then ask him God what do you want for Christmas that's all we ask for people which is a big ask you know but but that's between them and God and not us as a middleman so thank you thank you for being a positive witness it's it's amazing how sometimes being a witness can really be an easy thing. Sometimes just not grumbling can be a witness. Sometimes just letting that other person go first can be a witness. There's ways you can witness in real simple ways. In fact, I want to take our attention here right now to uh, the first Christian witnesses that we see in the Bible. Let's go back to the text that we looked at on Tuesday, um, Tuesday here on Christmas Eve. If we could open our Bibles, if you have them, up to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 the familiar Christmas text that we read. I want to pull some things out of here and a couple other scriptures here this morning. Uh, it, I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one today, free. We keep a stack of them right there on that uh, table on your way out. Remundos, waving to it. Nice job pointing there, my friend. Uh, yeah, right back there. Please take one uh, as a gift to you. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I give you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared to, with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. We've got to see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, what did they do? What does it say? They spread... What? They spread the word. They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And those who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying, praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So here is the first account that we have in Scripture of a Christian witness, of someone who saw the baby Jesus and said, We got to tell somebody else about this birth they were among the first christian witnesses they'd experienced something amazing they couldn't keep it to themselves and they had to share it now i want to make turn this into a little object lesson here so i'm going to pull my kids into this here let's reenact this a little bit okay so why don't you guys stand right here next to me we haven't had a chance to practice this, and I just asked them just now if they'd be willing to, to help out. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of reenact re- this. We don't have Jesus um, in a baby form here with us today. Uh, we don't have any angels showing up, but you got me. And we got a guy. You're going to have to trust me in this, but we got a guy right there kind of behind there. You can't see him from here, but right in that back hallway. You're going to have to trust me in this, but he's got Twizzlers. He's got a, a box of Twizzlers, our beloved intern Nick has a box of Twizzlers. If you believe me, would you just go back there and check it out for yourselves if you believe that it's back there? All right. I'm glad my kids believe me. So they're going to go check it out. And you guys could could even kind of go fast if you if you want to check it out. It could, there we go. Thanks, Emma and Andrea. All right. Is it true? Is it true? You got one? All right. Okay. So freeze right there. We, need, we already need a little more to this. Okay. So is it true? Was there a beloved intern, Nick, with Twizzlers in the back? Is it true? Okay. So then you guys... You gotta proclaim this message. So repeat after me. Hey, other kids in this room. Hey, other kids in this room. If you would like a Twizzler, if you would like a Twizzler, and, it's okay with your parents, and it's okay with your parents, come back here. Come back here. Alright, you heard him proclaim. If you oh, wow. If you uh, if you would like a oh boy. How many Twizzlers do you have? Intern Nick. I hope I gave him both boxes of Twizzlers. I did? Oh, okay. Shoo! Just like we drew it up on the checkboard there. All right. Well, while they're reenacting the first witness, let's take this deeper now. Let's take this a little bit deeper. What they're doing is they're just doing what the shepherds did. It's a very basic form of witnessing. You don't have to believe in everything that the scriptures said about Jesus. You don't have to understand how all this could happen. You're just saying, hey, somebody told me about this. This is pretty amazing. Come and see. So the shepherds had a very basic form of witness. It was the best they could do with the information that they had. And we just reenacted that there. We had someone say, hey, there's a guy in the back. He's got Twizzlers. And these people in faith responded to that message, and they got a little treat out of it. But now what we're going to do is let's let's go further into Luke. In fact, let's go all the way to the end of the book of Luke. Chapter 24, the last chapter of the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles, let's turn now to 2445, and we'll take a look here. Now, what we're looking at now is this is after Jesus had discipled people. And the word disciple is a real simple word. It just means to to train someone to be like you. So when you're a disciple of somebody, you're doing more than just listening to their teaching. When you're a disciple of someone, you're like, I want to be like you. Teach me your ways. Teach me how to be as you are. So that's a disciple. So now Jesus had gathered disciples. There's the 12 that we know the best, and there were others. And he poured his life into them. He didn't just teach them. They lived with him. They followed him. They ate with him. They, they had a chance to see him model things and, and, and pour himself into them. And so after that time, he even died and rose again as he predicted. So now what we're picking up with the story here is all the way at the end. This is after Jesus had done all those things. He had taught them modeled. He had equipped them to go and try some of these things on their own. And then he died. He rose again, just as he said he would. And now before he ascended, he says these words to his disciples. And he even did more than that, starting with verse 45. Then he, meaning Jesus, opened their minds. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and then rise again from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. All nations. Beginning in Jerusalem. You are what? You are witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you uh, what my father has promised. But stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. Let's talk about this a little bit. Here we find Jesus instructing his disciples to do the same thing that the shepherds did, and that is to witness. But now they're better equipped to witness than the shepherds were. For the last three years, they've been part of a community that was like, any other unlike any other that experienced before they had been mentored under jesus teaching and example they had heard about the kingdom of god and then they'd actually been a part of it they'd been a part of extending this kingdom of god they experienced them themselves they had seen jesus defeat death in the grave there was just one piece missing that was the pouring out of the holy spirit that jesus promised that's what he's talking about this gift that he's going to send them and that comes to pass too luke is the author of two books in our Bible. There's Luke and there's his sequel. The sequel is called, anyone know? Acts. All right. So there's Luke and Acts. Same author through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote wrote both. Let's leave the last chapter of Acts or the last chapter of Luke. Let's go to the first chapter of Acts. So here's picking up where we left off. All right. And Luke writes, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, let me hit pause right there. This Theophilus We're not exactly sure what to do with this in terms of scholars and and people who examine this. It means lover of God. And so it could be a person. Many people think it was a benefactor, someone who commissioned Luke to write these things down, to investigate all this. It could have been that. It also could be people who love God, and he's writing to them. It could be a both and. So we're not sure, but but he's writing to lovers of God. He says, my former book, Lover of God, or Lovers of God, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. What was his former book? Luke, all right? In that book, I, I wrote all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over the period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Continue on. on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered around him, then they gathered around him and asked him, "Lord, when or at this time are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel?" He said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has sent by his own authority." but you will receive power. Tune in on this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my what? Witnesses. There's that word again. You will be my witnesses not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to where? The ends of the earth. Now, this came to pass. Against all odds, this prophecy that this little group was going to witness to the ends of the earth, it came to pass. It never should have. They had the religious community working against them. The Jewish community was working against them to spread this message. They were the ones that said, we got to get Jesus killed. The government was working against them. The most powerful nation of their day, the Roman Empire, was against them. And yet, here's Jesus saying, you know what? You are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And against all odds, it came true. Why can I say it came true? Because this is the ends of the earth, right? From Jerusalem. We're sitting here right now in a community center at the other side of the world looking at these things, talking about this man, Jesus. Against all odds, this came to pass. People took up what Jesus said about being his witnesses. God blessed it. And this little movement spread all around the world. In fact, that little movement is still exploding around the world. The number of Christians is multiplying exponentially in Latin America. It's growing rapidly in South America. It's multiplying exponentially in Africa in Asia, in places where it's outlawed? Do you know one of the only places it's not growing? United States. The United States. Um, here's some stats I've showed some of you before. Even if you're not a stat person, let this sink in, the significance of what you're looking at here. What we have on the screen is the growth rate for United States churches, and it's broken down based on size. According to statistics, the average church that's less than 50 people is growing. It's not growing exponentially. It's growing at the rate of 2.5%. Statistically, all churches that are between 50 and 500 people, statistically, they're all declining in size. And then once you get over 500, statistically, they're growing. But at a rate of 0.1%, 1.4%, and 1.7%. Now, is this true of every church in in those? No, this is on average. But you see, the growth rate is not what you would expect to see from people who are trying to be witnesses to what they'd seen and, and, and what they had heard. And it's interesting to note, too, in the United States, it depends on what statistic you look at, but one of the most recent ones I saw is the average size of a church in the United States... It is in this category 50 to 99. The average church in the United States is 89 people. Only 15% of churches, according to that the same study, only 15% of churches ever get larger than 200. Or if they were larger, they've declined back underneath 200. Interesting. Now, with our church, and I'm hoping I'm putting this up in, for the right reasons, here's, here's what's been happening with, with our church. Um, our uh, One year ago, our service on December 23rd, 2007, we had 156 people here. And then last Sunday, trying to compare as best we can apples with apples, we had, although we had a lot of people here in the Oli fan club, the Oli uh, Kandusen fan club last week. But but if you look at this, it is re- reflective of our trends. Um, in December of 22nd of, of, well, actually, last Sunday, we had 401 people here. So our church is growing. Our church is, is growing. Um, and, and I would say that can be a very good thing. Growth can be a good thing if you're growing for the right reasons. That's so important. Growth is a good thing if you're growing for the right reasons. When you're growing, you can offer more opportunities to more people. When you're growing, you can bring on specialists that can help focus on kids, focus on teens, focus on ministry, focus on groups, focus on care, when you're growing and you pool your resources, you can do things like get toys for every kid with Ace in the City. In fact, I think you're going to hear a report next week about it. Maybe even see some pictures. Is that true? Maybe even see some pictures of those gifts that you got for those kids, for all of those kids. When you're growing, you could do things like put two roofs over the kids at Emmanuel Children's Home, like we were able to do this year. So growth can be a good thing, but growth can be dangerous. Growth can also be dangerous. Pride can seep in. You know, where we start to say, look at us. Look what we're doing. We're a growing church. Instead of saying, wow, you know, God's given us some favor and, and, and we're doing the best we can to be obedient. And self-sufficiency can creep in when you're growing. When you're a tiny little church just trying to keep things going, you pray differently. You know, you shouldn't pray differently, but you do. You're like, God, we are totally dependent on you. We need you every moment of every day. When you get bigger, sometimes you're able to say, well, we got some money in the account, bank account. You, you, you're not as, as feeling consciously as dependent when you're just as dependent as you ever were. When you're growing, you can start to care more about numbers than the people that the numbers represent. Oh, we had 500 people! Instead of what's happening in the lives of those individuals. The only point in even keeping track of numbers is because every one of those numbers is a person. And you can lose track of that when you get bigger. You can also, d- growth can be dangerous because you, you can start to care more about the program. Is it slick? Were we error-free? Were our, was everything cool? Or did people actually meet God and hear from God? You know? When, when, you're, when you're growing, it can get dangerous because staff and volunteers can get built, burned out. Image can become more important than authenticity. And you can become more wasteful in spending because you actually have money, you know, to spend. So growth can be great. Growth can be dangerous. If, it all depends if you're growing for the right reasons. Now, I'd encourage you to write something down because now we're going to make a shift to what I really think is we're getting close to the meat of what I think we're supposed to be focusing on here today. Increasing attendance and making disciples are two different things. Increasing attendance and making disciples are two different things. You can increase attendance any number of ways. I just wrote a couple of them on the screen. Here are some of the things that sometimes they encourage churches to do. Offer entertaining programs. Market to either the middle or the margins. What I mean by that is just have something that offends nobody. You know, go to the middle, just say something that everybody can connect with and doesn't offend anybody, or go to the margins. Say, I'm going to offend these people over here, but we're going to grow this group over here. Because they're just going to other those people over there, or pick this group and just cater to them and say, you know what, those people are evil and all that kind of stuff. We exist because they do, and we're going to, you know, whatever. You can do that. You can cater to needs and preferences. Pick one style of music. Pick one style of teaching. Pick one thing that one group likes and just feed them, give them what they want. You can tell people what they want to hear. And then this is one of my big soapboxes. You can actually increase attendance by offering awareness without accountability. Where you, you help people feel good because they feel bad. You take a, a social issue and you show just how tragic the world is. And you go, wow. Look at what 's going on around the world, and people go, "Wow, look what 's going on around the world, but then never ask them to be accountable to that so they come out going, "Wow, our church really cares, our church really cares, but well, what are you doing besides telling people about what's bad's going on so you could do these kind of techniques, but instead of making a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can actually be making disciples of Western culture, right so you can grow for the wrong reasons and not that all of those are always wrong all the time. But that's not the same as disciple-making. Here are some marks of disciple-making. And it was interesting, before I go into this list, go ahead and leave it on the screen, but it's interesting. Look at how Jesus responded to crowds. It's fascinating. When a crowd would start to grow, when a crowd would start to grow, if Jesus intuitively picked up on, this crowd is here for the wrong reasons, when, when, when they were the crowd was gathering because of political reasons, Jesus broke that crowd up. He said something that would offend those political people. And, and when the crowd was growing because they wanted to see more and more and more miracles, he said, we're done with the miracles. I'll give you a miracle. Sign of Jonah. You know, say something like that. And people are like, what? You know, so he would do this. When the crowd would grow for the wrong reasons, Jesus would say or do something so that all but the sincere seekers of truth back off. It's fascinating. But here are some things. That, this is what I think discipleship involves now i'm using our words here different churches have different words for this and that's fine but here are some categories that if you're gonna if you're gonna disciple if you're gonna become a disciple if you're gonna be a church that makes disciples here are some things you got to do you got to help people discover a deeper more transformational walk with god that's the basic one right you want to help people connect with others in richer, more meaningful ways. So they're not just a face in the crowd, but they're actually becoming accountable to one another. They're serving, loving one another. Next one down. Christian discipleship involves challenging believers to serve their Christian brothers and sisters as Christ modeled and taught. Another thing about Christian discipleship, it's not just about your Christian brothers and sisters. It's also about reaching out to those who are lost and those who are hurting. That's part, huge part of Christian discipleship. And then this last one. Are you passing on a brightly lit, well-fueled torch to the next generation? These are basic things that are true of Christian discipleship. You can increase your attendance by just offering religious goods and services that people want to consume. You can do that. But that's not discipleship. And it's a lot harder to do discipleship. Here's one of the reasons why discipleship is so much harder. And I'd encourage you to write this down in your notes. It's hard to be disciple-making church because we can't make disciples without what? More disciples. You can't make disciples without more disciples. You can gather a crowd around good teaching or good music or good programs. You can gather a crowd, but you can't make disciples without more disciples unless your bar for discipleship is really low. They learned some new Bible trivia today, you know. They learn three steps that they don't know how to apply. Okay. You know, they, but you can't make disciples out disciples. I want to show you something. Let's, let's continue to look in Acts. Acts chapter 6 now. Let's move ahead a little bit into Acts chapter 6. Now, it's interesting in, in the early part of Acts, as people are, are amazed when the Holy Spirit's poured out, it says the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, it says. So people were growing kind of like the shepherds. Whoa, I'm seeing something. This is amazing. I'm gathering other people. We're showing them. But then there's the subtle language shift. The language shift starts to shift away from just the numbers to disciples. See if you can pick up on this too. It was just fascinating to see this for me in the scriptures. In those days, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, the number of what was increasing? Disciples. You see, they're not just saying, now the crowd kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. What the scriptures is subtly pointing out here, in those days, the number of disciples was increasing. And this problem came up because they're growing. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, there's a whole separate teaching we could go off on here, but, but uh, the, the summary is they had a, had a new problem. They had a new problem, they, they, and it was a real problem. They had the Hellenistic Jews, who were those who were Greek-speaking folks. They um, they were influenced by Greek culture. That's what Hellenistic means. And then you had the more traditional folks that were they had maybe were speaking Aramaic or speaking Hebrew, influenced by Hebrew culture. And so you've got these two groups, and one was being overlooked. And and it, and it was distribution of food. So it's it's an important thing, but there's this new problem. So now here's what the what the The church did about it. And again, look at the language shift here too. Let's go on now to to Acts 6, 2 through 4. Now it says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said... Let me hit pause before we say what they said. So the twelve gathered disciples together. Now the twelve, what they're talking about is Jesus' original disciples. Well, kind of. It's 11 plus 1. Judas had passed away. By this point, we got kids in the room. Judas had passed away by this point, And so they added another disciple. So that's what they're talking about, the 12. The original disciples plus one. But they don't call them just the disciples. Now they're saying that 12 gathered all the other disciples. There's more disciples. So the 12 gather all these other disciples, these new disciples of Jesus together. And they say, brothers and sisters... Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. All right. What I thought we were going to be speaking on today was how structures need to change when you grow. I thought, hey, we're going into 2014. Let's talk about that because we are now right between... We're, we're, the, we're a large, medium-sized church and we're a small, large church. We're right at the cutoff, all right? And so I, what I thought we were going to do is spend some time on that. In fact, I want to make sure I don't not at least touch on that. Um, in the back, Ron and some others, oh, they're all ready to go, and Ron has got some of these. If you, There's an article by a guy named Tim Keller who just does a lot of things so well. He has the best condensed um, uh, article on the difference size makes in a church and how structures have to change. A a church that's 40 people can't act like a church that's 400 or you're going to be in trouble. A church that's 400 can't act like a church that's 40 or you're going to be in trouble. So if you want to put your hand up, I give this article to everybody I possibly can. I've given a lot of these away. But if you put your hand up, they'll pass one out to you. Um, Even if you think the odds are I won't read it, you can still put your hands up because there's some great stuff here. Maybe you'll take a look at it. We have enough to, I think, for for everyone that wants one. So just put your hand up. But I'd encourage you to look on this on your own because I thought we were going to spend more time on this, but we're not. All I'm going to do is say, take the article, read it, and I'd love to talk to you about it if you want to talk about it. Because as I was praying through saying, God, what do you want to say today? I, I thought he was saying, don't say as much about structures need to change. You can just give them the article for that. Let's talk about this disciple thing. Let's talk about this disciple thing because it doesn't matter what size you are. You always need more... Disciples. You always need more disciples, regardless of size. Disciples help even a big church feel small. Because a disciple is becoming more like Jesus, and now you've got this real person that you can interact with that can help to disciple you. It's how it works. Disciples are needed regardless of your church's size. And the early church was able to identify disciples and commission them and give them important responsibilities. Let's go back to our text, all right? Acts chapter 6 with verse 5. Here we go. This proposal that I mentioned so long ago, it pleased the whole group. Let's do this new structure. Let's just get some disciples. Let's give them this responsibility. Here we go. That proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also, Philip, several others who I won't even try to pronounce their names, and Nicholas from Antioch, who had been a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, talking about the 12 here. They, they presented to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on him. And so the word of God spread. And the number of what increased? Disciples. The disciples made more disciples. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests even became obedient to the faith. There's some irony. A priest actually became obedient to the faith. Stephen, Philip, Nicholas, and these others, they weren't just people filling open spots in some big machine. These were seekers of God. These were disciples of Jesus Christ who were able to take on important responsibilities and to not just be under the direction exclusively of the apostles. They were able to set them free because the Spirit was helping to lead them, and they were mature in their faith. I'd encourage you, if you haven't before, to continue reading about this guy, Stephen, remarkable guy. As you read about him, he, the Bible describes him as a man full of God's grace and power who performed great wonders and signs among the people. When Jewish opposition arose against him and the Christian movement, the Bible says, they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave Stephen when he spoke. You you saw in the early church, these people were taking ownership of their faith and they were growing and they were learning and then they were discipling others. And Stephen was literally, and you see the account in the scriptures, we have kids with us, we're not going to read it, but he was willingly, willingly, willing to lay down his very life. For his faith, just as his master did. He was such a disciple of Jesus, he did what his master did, laid down his life for what he believed in. A growing church, I should say, for who he believed in, a growing church's ability to make disciples depends on the willingness of those who are attending to take up that yoke of Jesus Christ that we've been talking about for the last couple weeks and become disciples. Practical. Here's how this works. We give a teaching in the church about hearing the voice of God. And people say, I want to do that. And I got the principles. They're here in my little green sheet or blue sheet. But how do I actually do that in real life? You know? You have a disciple who can come alongside and say, try this. Someone who who can hear God's voice. They can come alongside you. Try this. Try reading this. Asking you questions, getting feedback, walking with you on that. Or let's say, you know, we have a teaching, a, a, ch- a church teaching on financial freedom. And you're like, oh, I want that. I want to be set free from debt. I want to, to steward money well. Okay? I've got the principles. Who can walk with me in this? Who can help hold me accountable? Who can encourage me? Who can help me in our specific situation with our specific debt or our specific challenges? Who can walk with me in that? The disciples. You see how that works to have somebody who can come alongside you or help lead a small group of people but to make it personal to make it real to your situation so here's my question to you as an attender here at a church are you a disciple of jesus christ are you a disciple are you someone who says God, I want to become more like Jesus. And I'm, I'm not just going to say I want that. I'm going to take steps towards that. I'm going to become a disciple of you. I'm going to become more like you so that I can disciple others. Well, what does that look like? Again, there's all kinds of language you can use. Here's the language we use around our church. Please pull out your blue sheet. Let's just take a look at this. A disciple is at, at, at a minimum in these five areas, you're... You're moving forward. You're, you're moving towards Christ-likeness. A disciple is not somebody who has arrived. None of us have arrived. None of us are fully like Jesus. A disciple is someone who's taking steps. And here are the different, some different areas where I'd encourage people to take steps. As a church, we're trying to help dis- disciple people when it comes to discovering a deeper, more transformative walk with God. We're trying to help people who aren't even interested become curious. You know? And I hope on Christmas Eve, some people became curious. I hope some people said, man, these people are different. This isn't like any of the rest of the crowds. So now maybe they're curious. Well, a disciple can say, who's maybe at trusting, and and trusting, what trusting is when it comes to your walk with God, is trusting says, okay, God, I'm in. I don't fully understand everything, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you came to earth as a child, that you grew up to be a man, that somehow you took the sins of the world on yourself, You died on the cross for my sins. You rose again. I'm going to trust that the Bible is your word. I'm not going to cut and paste what makes sense to me. I'm going to seek what it really says, and I'm going to try to live my life according to it. I'm going to trust you. What you say I'll do, where you say, where you go, I'll follow. That's trusting. Now then there's abiding. Abiding is moment by moment. Okay, God, steer me. You know, help me to hear your voice. Help me to follow you. Help me to know what to do in this situation. That's abiding. So the great thing about discipleship is you only have to be a little further ahead than someone to be able to disciple them. Right? You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to be a little further ahead. So on this list, where are you? Where would you check yourself? You're not going to turn these in, so just look at this. Where would you put yourself? Because then that helps you to say, what's my next step? Is it trusting? I'm curious. Is it, I need to say, God, this is it. You get my whole life. I'm going to trust you. Okay? Then, what comes next? All right, connecting. The language we use here for discipleship when it comes to connecting is we want to help others discover how to connect with others in, in richer, more meaningful ways. Moving from neighbor to just someone there in proximity with us, meaning Christians, to guest. You've invited them to a small group, you've invited them to a service. Friend, that's pretty self-explanatory. They've made friends who are Christians. And then there's family. That's that next step. Are you, you know, and think about where you are. Do you, do you, are you in the family category here? Are, you know, it, or wherever your church is. Are you at a place where you're like, you know what? If I literally needed a place to stay, who at my church would take me in? Who would I take in? Connecting, you know, to, to be in a spot where you're in the hospital and your small group is there faster than Jimmy John's, right? And, and while you're at the hospital, you find out they plowed your driveway. And when you come back from the hospital, they're there with food. Who, who is that for you? Who are you that for somebody else, right? Becoming like family. Serving. Language we use is, you know, we want to help people learn to serve their Christian brothers and sisters as Christ modeled and taught. He taught us specifically to love one another, meaning the other brothers and sisters, to, to serve them radically. And the language we use here is moving from consumer, you know, to volunteer, to builder, to disciple maker. A consumer is someone who just attends, and that's, that's what we invite. If, if you're a guest here, just consume. If you're just visiting, Come and take in the music, take in the teaching, ask questions, put your kids in kids' programs. Don't give until you feel like God is saying to do that. You know, But there comes a point where if you're going to be a disciple, where you just say, okay, then I'm at least going to volunteer. And when a volunteer, the way I define that is they're just helping out. It may or may not be something they're good at, but they're just helping out. A builder now is someone who's helping out at something they're good at, right? Because they're helping to build in the kingdom of God. And then there's a disciple-maker. I'm now taking something that I can do and I'm training someone else to do it. Where are you on that continuum? Reaching out. The language we use here, reach out to those who are lost and hurting. You know, one of the challenges in the suburbs is being insulated. There's challenges all around us. We can just hide from them. There's all kinds of problems right here in the suburbs, but we can insulate ourselves and certainly around the world. So as a disciple, you're moving from, I'm insulated, I'm protecting myself, from all of the challenges and problems and hurts out there to, I'm introduced. And when I say introduced, not just to the concept, not just to awareness, as into, I know a person. You know? I can point to a person that I'm in relationship with. You know, do you have that? Have you been introduced to somebody who's in a situation? And then, are you now engaged somehow doing some sort of ministry? And then moving from there to an advocate. Who are you advocating for? What cause? We can't be advocates for everything, but what cause are you an advocate for when it comes to the lost and the hurting? And then this last one, passing along a brightly lit, well-fueled torch to the next generation. That starts right at home. You know, If you have kids, it starts with your kids. Are you pouring into them? If not, if you don't have kids, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, who are you pouring into when it comes to the next generation? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? What's your next step? And here's the thing that I just would love to happen. And in fact, I think one of the reasons, I didn't write this in my notes, but as I'm reflecting on it even now, I think one of the reasons our church is growing is we have a lot of people who take discipleship really serious. And, and it's not about some great program here at our church. You've... you've i have seen that, you know, we stumble through things sometimes, but there's people here who are trying to live this out. And wouldn't it be great is if, if right now at the close of this message, I could just say, could all our members raise their hands and all of our members raise their hands. And I said, if you have questions about any of these things, talk to one of them. Isn't that what we should be moving towards? Instead of talk to Jennifer, talk to me, talk to Dan, you know. Instead of that, wouldn't it be, isn't it, not wouldn't it be great, isn't it our calling as a church to have everyone being disciple? You want to learn about abiding in Christ? Talk to any of our members because they're all walking down that path. Wouldn't that be great? I I think it'd be great. And, And now, let's do Twizzlers part two. You guys ready for part two here of the object lesson as we close the service here? Come on back up. I want to also show you why this is an extra blessing. Not only does it bless those on the outside, not only does it bless um, the world because now you have more people taking the message of Christ everywhere you go, now instead of them just going to find a guy who is hidden in the back to get a twizzler and saying, hey others, I know about this guy, now you get to be the ones are distributing the Twizzlers. So would you help me out with this? Would you guys go stand by those doors? When we close, we're going to open up those doors so people can go out, and would you guys take one of these buckets, and as people go out, could you hand them a Twizzler, if they would like one? They can be a kid, they can be a grown-up, they can be somewhere in between. Does that sound good? So now, and think about this, because this is representative of what, what gets really fun with Christianity. When you're a disciple, you get to participate in stuff that God does because he's doing it through you. And that gets to be really fun. Now, I don't know why God set it up this way. He'd do better without us, I think. You know, But he chooses us to include us so that when we talk about abiding in Christ, imagine if you had more abiding with Christ stories of your own and you didn't just have to say, well, I read on the internet about this guy who thought he heard from God and he really did because here's how it played out. How cool is it if you get to have your own stories about abiding with God? I'm in a restaurant. I felt like I was supposed to say this certain thing to my server. I said, hey, server person, I feel like I'm supposed to say this to you. And how did you know? That gets really fun. And the connecting with God's story, with other stories. When you are that person in the hospital and you realize, I didn't even tell you, how did you even know I'm here? And these people are here. And they're looking out for you. And you're doing the same for them. That's really fun. And the serving story, when you step forward timidly and you lead a small group, and then a year later, one of the people from your small group are leading a small group because you discipled them. And the reaching out stuff... You know, when, when we put those pictures on the screens from Emmanuel Children's Home and you see those smiling faces, or from Ace in the City, you go, I know those kids. I've hugged those kids. I've carried those kids on my back for a whole day, you know? That's when it gets fun. Because now you're not just telling someone about the Twizzlers. You're not just a shepherd going out to proclaim something that you've seen. Now you're a Stephen. You're a Stephanie. And God is using you to change the world. That's fun. So let me pray for us. Would you please stand? Let me pray a prayer, a blessing over us as we go forth. Father, I pray that anything that was of you came forth and was received in the minds and hearts. Filter anything that was just of me. But Father, what a blessing. I pray you bless us by helping us to understand that this is an invitation, Father. Help us to see this not as a burden. This is a light yoke here. Because you're inviting us to do the stuff that you do. You're inviting us to hear your voice. You're inviting us to, to, to experience community that's a shadow of the Trinity. You're, you're, you're inviting us to make a difference in this world, to be your hands and feet to those who are lost and are hurting. You're inviting us to learn how we can experience joy by serving you're helping to invite us to pass on a legacy to the next generation so lord help us bless us in 2014 by helping us to see what a great invitation it is to be a disciple of yours we pray in jesus name amen god bless you have a great week